Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. Okay, today is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, we started this series called Empowered last week. We did Acts 1, and this morning we're doing Acts 2, and, and, and you know what? I, I know when God's about to do something, because I'm really nervous on the inside. I, I felt, I know if I was cold down the front, or it was the Holy Spirit was just sort of prepping me for this this morning, but uh, I just really think God's going to do something pretty special this morning, and I'm trying not to get in the way, so I'm... You know the way I normally preach, I use lots of points and, and, and I'm trying to get myself out of the way and just preach out of the word and let the word do, it's, it's the power, the gospel is the power and, uh, um, and so I'm trying to, to allow the word of God to, to do what it's meant to do. Um, you know, we're working through this book of Acts and, and on this same day, whatever, 2,000 years ago, um, this is the story we're going to read in Acts 2 this morning. Now, I probably won't get as far as what Sally got to, to the end of Acts, but um, this is exactly, you know, whatever, how many years, 2,000 years ago, is exactly the same story we're going to read this morning, and it's the same morning. And power definition is this, give someone the authority or power to do something. Um, and the second one is to make someone stronger, more confident, to release. And uh, there's some great synonyms there as well you can read. Um, Unyoke, unfetter, unshackle, unchained, set free. And, uh, and, and I've been praying now almost for 12 months for this series. And I'm praying this morning personally and corporately as a church, we become more empowered as we work through this series and understand what it took, what, what it took for the early church to get established in this place, in, the, in this world. You know, there was so much opposition. There was so much going against it. There was like... This, this group of 12 guys who just didn't have a clue. And then the, the Holy Spirit descended on the, the 120 that had been assembled in this upper room in, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And, uh, and we read about that throughout the Bible, the spillover effect of that, and how it changed the world forever. You know, th- this event was prophesied and, and spoken about and recorded in the Old Testament many, many times. And... and, and how this event, and we want to look at how this event changed the world. See, it was the birth of the New Testament church. It was the empowering of the Holy Spirit through Christ, through Christ's followers across this world. And it was all initiated through Pentecost Sunday, 2,000 years ago. And from that point forward until today and forever, till the end of all time, that is the case. And, and, and and see, we are a Pentecostal church. If you've been around for a while, you might have realized that. But we, we believe in Pentecost. We believe in what took place, the literal translation of the Bible. We, you know, and Pentecost isn't a, a, a Pentecostal, isn't a sp- scary word. That word Pentecost. Pente meaning 50. So basically that means 50 days from Easter Sunday or the Passover is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days. And uh, it was a Jewish feast day, and that's why when we read Acts 2 in a minute, the Jews were in Jerusalem, they were celebrating um, the Passover. Um, so what does 
Pentecost represent for us as a New Testament church? It, it represents the fulfillment of Christ's promise that, that's promised to us at the end of the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke. And it's Luke 24, verses 46 to 49. And we did read it last week. I want to read it again this week. It says this. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Until you have been clothed with power from on high. Sounds sort of mysterious, doesn't it? Mysterious, being clothed with power from on high. And I guess it is. The power on high is the Holy Spirit. And this is when and how he comes to those 120 believers in that upper room. Ordinary, faithful, praying people in that upper room. They were just, they were just trying to make, do the best they could. They were obediently waiting on and praying for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus had instructed them to do. And it was miraculous. And it all started and was based in obedience. Understand that. So much of God in our walk is based in obedience. Obedience to his word. Obedience to God's word. Obedience to Jesus' instructions in our life. You see, Jesus said, when I go away, I'll send you a counsellor, a guide, a healer. When I go away, the Holy Spirit will come. The paraclete is the Greek word they use. And that just means counselor, advocate, intercessor, comforter. And you know the story, but I want to recap again because it's so important we get the context of this. Jesus was crucified on the cross. He died. He was murdered. After three days, he rose again. He spent the following 40, 40 days with his disciples. And, and they the Bible tells us about 500 people could testify to that. Then he ascended into heaven and when we're told, he, he told the disciples, his followers, not to leave Jerusalem. For, he didn't tell them how long. He said to wait and pray. And for the next 10 days, they did just that. So, so let's have a look at Acts 2 verses 1 to 4. This is how the Holy Spirit's represented on the day of Pentecost. And Luke is the, the writer of the book of Luke and also the book of Acts. And he records it this way. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And just before I... I, I have a look more at the depth of that, that passage. I want to point something out to you because we overlooked this part. See, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 120 people all came together in one place. And we can miss this too easily in the miraculous stuff of that passage. Ten days they've been waiting together, praying in that upper room. Have you ever been waiting for something in your life to happen? When you... You don't know whether it's five seconds or an hour or half a day or a day or a week or a year. You don't know how long it is. And you're waiting in anticipation with expectancy of what that might be like. 
Um, I don't know if you have, but I, but I have. Maybe it was an important phone call. Maybe it was a text message you were waiting to get. Maybe you're waiting on a special delivery from someone or somewhere. And, and you stay at home all day. And, you, and it seems like the longest time because you're waiting. Every, every minute you're checking your watch going, I wonder if it's here. I wonder if it's here. Is it now? Is it now? And, and, and you see, one of the foundations of our relationship with God and trusting in God, and particularly here, is waiting on the Spirit of God. It's obedience, simple obedience. And it's like that, that story of the ten virgins in the, in the New Testament in Matthew 25. Five were ready and prepared and five weren't. And basically, Jesus just says, be ready at any time. You know, you don't know the day or the time. Be ready at any time. And, um, and the other thing I thought about those simple words were a sense of unity with those 120 people. They're all together in one place, all together in one place. We don't have much information about that, but we do know that those other 500 people saw them, but only 120 were in that upper room. You know, and those words, they all sound pretty holy and and pretty uh, good when we read them like that. They're all together in one place. But in reality, for me, when people maybe come to visit you and stay with you, and you don't know how long they're going to stay... The first few days are usually pretty good. You know, the first three days, you're pretty cool. You know, it's all good. Then all of a sudden, they just start to grate on your nerves. And you go, well, when were you thinking of going home, by the way? You know, when was that likely to be? You know, and, oh, I'm not sure. You know, any time soon, you know, maybe one day. And uh, it'll be nice you contributed to some food and put some, you know, put some money there and, and didn't eat all our food and, and leave a little for our family. You know, and you just get a little bit angsty. And... Uh, and I don't know, just for me, I think of it like that. I think after 10 days, you're ready to throw them out. But here they are waiting together expectantly for the Holy Spirit. And I can only imagine the tension and the emotions that would surround us. they waited. And they waited together in obedience and unity. See, so often we want and pray for the supernatural evidence of God in our lives, for those miracles, for God to turn up in our circumstances. And uh, so often we just want the shortcut, you know. We just want the, the evidence of the miracles at themselves, but not always prepared to put in the groundwork of the relationship with God, the foundation of that relationship with God. And, uh, and see, Jesus, the Son of God, <laughs> would pray all night long to do that miracle that would take seconds. We pray for seconds so we can do miracles all night long. And we wonder why it's not working. We wonder why we're not, we're not feeling like we're lined up with God, that God's not there with us. And, and we just need to use Jesus' example and, and go, look, he's prayed all night long. He pressed into prayer. And, and I'm just going to use a little bit of my own personal testimony. I remember there was a time when I personally got a little bit disenchanted, got a little judgmental about church and, and, uh, and what I felt like was going on. There was a time when I was at Bible college and we were studying the Bible, the Word of God, you know, the New Testament, the Old Testament, the um, Christian theology, missions, book of Acts. Um, you know, like we were just working through the Bible. It was, it was full time and you were into it. And in fact, part of our, our study, the book of Acts, we actually had to memorize virtually the first, I think, 11 or 12 chapters of Acts. And uh, we actually had to be able to quote verbatim 
the, the scriptures, you know, and, and when they'd give you an exam question, you'd actually have to be able to quote the chapter verse and the actual verse and be able to write it all out verbatim in the exams. And it was just wonderful. It was just so wonderful when you had that in you. I must admit, I find it difficult to do today because I'm not that, you know, I don't spend that much time on one particular part, but, but uh, it's just a wonderful thing. And, and anyway, we're reading about studying the amazing miracles of Jesus and the supernatural evidence of God and, and, and the early church. And we're, we're living this, this sort of bubble of, of super spirituality almost. And it can lead you to be a little judgmental and a little critical, to be truthful. God, why aren't we seeing the evidence of your miracles in our lives? Why aren't we seeing the evidence of miracles in our church? Why aren't we seeing the miracles and evidence of, of you in, in our community? Why aren't we seeing people healed? What, why? And blaming on anyone else, church leaders, churches, Christians, anyone else. And it's so easy to do. It's so easy to be critical, so easy and judgmental with a false sense of sense of uh, superiority, I guess, you know, that why aren't they doing that? What, what's, what, what aren't we doing, you know? And not taking any responsibility, personal responsibility at all. And truthfully, I agonized over this in, church, in um, Bible college for quite a few months until a, a point I, I just, I don't know, God just really challenged me. And it went something like this. Basically, said, look, it's got nothing to do with my church it's about your heart and motivation. You want the miracles to make you feel good and powerful about your relationship with me. The power of God is for witnessing. When was the last time you were a witness for me? I've been so wrapped up studying the word of God for study purposes, to write those assignments. I've been so wrapped up in church and I repented basically I repented before God because basically the word brings us life in our lives that's what it's for it's to bring the life to our lives not, not, not for study purposes not to be able to learn the scriptures necessarily and, and, and the word is the doorway to the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it brings a life that we're meant to, ha- meant to have. And I read this verse last week, and I want to read it again this morning. Acts 1.8. And, and, and this is the mission of us, of you, of me, of the church, of Jesus Christ on this earth. Don't miss this. Acts 1.8. But you, you and me, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, in all the areas, in your local communities, in your families, in your circumstances, in the tough and the the, the good times. You will be my witnesses in that place. If you carry the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit with you as you go, as you stay hooked into the Holy Spirit, as you pray, as you consider what that might look like for you, you'll be my witness there. And the power of God, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is to reach and positively influence our community world. That's our mission statement as a church. And how do we do that to, to reach others? How do we do that? It's by loving God, loving people, and loving life. And, and I remember at, at the end of that particular year at Bible College, full-time year at Bible College, you know, just getting humbled before God, going, yeah, I, that's true, God. It was my heart. It was my attitude. It was my 
judgmental thing that was going on and, and I'm not even trying, I'm not doing the right thing and I'm judging other people for not doing the right thing. And I remember that particular year, um, I led a trip to, uh, the first trip to the Philippines. I led a team of builders over there to finish off a children's home on the main island of Luzon. And, uh, and basically, we would build all day long. We'd go hard, it's hot, it was just tough conditions. And then at the night time, they would take you out to minister because in the area that we went to, there weren't that many white people you know, that, that turned up there. And uh, so they'd, they'd load us up in the back of a truck and you'd be sitting on top of the roof of a truck and hanging out the ends of it. And, and, uh, and they'd take you out in the middle of the village somewhere in a paddock somewhere and there'd be a barn or a shed there. And they go, that, that's where we're going to meet. And you go, okay, good. So you'd set up in there and, and the music would start. You think, there's no one lives around here. What? Who's got the, the cows? We'll have to preach to the cows, you know. And, uh, um, and then all of a sudden, it was just like the, the book of Acts. It was just like the early church. The music had started and then all these people had just come from, I don't know where they came from most of the time, but they just turned up. And by the end, like by the time you start to preach, there'd be people hanging through the windows and they're hanging on the roof and they're looking through like that and the place would be packed out. And it was just an amazing, amazing time in God. And um, basically, it, you know, here's what I wanted to say in that two-week period. Um, for the first time, I saw that exact same evidence of the power of God that I'd been seeking back in Bible college. And it was really confirmed for me that the power of God is for salvation. It is for salvation. It is to be his witnesses on this earth. And, and that, because that's obviously God's focus. And we so much want the power of God for us, for me, for my circumstances. Well, sometimes we've got to get our eyes off ourselves and start to look at out there. And then God intercedes in that. And uh, can I tell you, on that particular trip, as we became vessels for God to work through, see, we, we prayed big time. We prayed in the morning, because seriously, you get crook eating their food. It was just awful. You know, you mostly have rice, but they'd add other these things to it, and you just go, I don't know what that is, but I don't like the look of it. I think I'll just have the rice. And, uh, the water wasn't great, and, and uh, um, so we were praying every morning, every lunchtime, every nighttime. Every chance we got, we just were praying together, praying together, praying together. And it was a great time of unity. And, and as we got to minister every night, see, we, they flogged us, my goodness. We, we went everywhere. Now, there was one place one team member went to because um, we split up on Sundays, and they sent us out to like 11 different churches uh, on a Sunday. This one church, one guy went to, they had never seen a white person in, in the flesh. But up on the top of the mountains, it was just like, whoa, that is amazing. And, and as we ministered at night time, there were people there, um, they just flocked to the place. And can I tell you, who would stream forward in those altar calls. See, they didn't have options. Um, they, they needed to get saved, first of all. So salvation. But the prayers for healing, we saw people healed from deafness. We saw diseases healed. I remember praying for this man who's brought to me on a wheelchair. And I didn't have the rest of the team this morning. I was by myself. Actually, Brenton was with me. And uh, I freaked out on the inside. Because they had this amazing faith. They go, well, if you pray for him, he'll be healed. And they go, you don't know who I am. I, I can't do that. I don't do that. You know, that's not me. You must have me mixed up with somebody else and, and that was on the inside 
On the outside, I had to look brave and full of faith, you know, and uh, this, this poor, deformed, tortured sort of body in this wheelchair. And I, can I tell you, I prayed a really ordinary, faithless prayer, like it was just a safe prayer and not expecting too much and didn't expect ever to hear anything about that. And, and I got a message in the, in the days before we just left and said that man was actually walking for the first time in years. You go, what? What? You're kidding me. Like, that was my response. You're joking. That guy, that, nah. And I'm telling you, there's something about just obedience and unity the Holy Spirit dwells in and does what he's called to do. And in this particular passage in Acts 2, there's a, a Holy Spirit represented by two symbols, wind and fire, two elements, wind and fire. And wind is a pretty basic symbol of the Holy Spirit throughout the whole Bible. You know, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which means wind and breath. And, uh, um, and, and we see that through the Bible. The other symbol is fire. And, and, and while water signifies birth and the fruitfulness of life, um, were given through the Holy Spirit. The fire symbolizes, get this, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the transformation. The fire of God comes, we get filled, and it's that transforming power that, is, that changes us to be all that God is positioning us to be. So it's this power from on high. It's the form of fire of the Holy Spirit. It transforms us. As it touched us. See, John the Baptist proclaimed Jesus the one who baptized with fire. Matthew 3.11, I'll baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And Jesus says in Luke 12.49 of the Holy Spirit, I've come to bring fire on the earth. How I wish it, already, it was already kindled. You know, in the book of Acts, it talks about the tongues of fire, tongues of fire. And, and, and the tongues of fire, it comes on each individual person. And, 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 and you know, we're, we're told not to quench the Holy Spirit, not to uh, smother the Holy Spirit. And, and so what's this talk about tongues of fire and, and speaking in other tongues? And I need to cover this for you this morning because I, I know I get a bit freaked out when he's talking about tongues and stuff. And this is actually talking about languages. And, and, and there's a common imagery here that this, this, this uses the same word uh, for tongues, for both the tongues of fire on people and the tongues that's coming out of their mouth. And, and, and this is just representing that individual flame and that individual language that they had. And it empowered them to speak miraculously in other languages. And we're going to read that now. And it was a sign for unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem. And it's what we what they needed to be their witnesses in that situation. So Acts 2, verses 5 to 13. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, etc., etc. goes on and on and on. Um, down to Cretans and, and Arabs. And we hear declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, 
they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. I don't know what your response to the Holy Spirit is. Is it, what are we, what's this all about? How do, we, how do we make sense of this? Or is it, nah, just gibberish, it's just, just had too much wine, it's just a joke. Because I know that's people's response. It can be either way, one way or the other. You see, the Holy Spirit comes in the form of wind and fire and fills these 120 disciples waiting in that upper room. The disciples start to speak in other languages or tongues. And, and it's clearly a sign for the unbelieving Jews from, from all those foreign nations. They're all there at once. It was an opportunity to spread the gospel. And, and they heard their own languages spoken clearly and glorifying God. That's why they asked, is it the Galileans speaking? Because there's no, can't hear their accents. It's our, it's our, it's our language. And, uh, and, you know, I've heard many stories and testimonies of that type of thing happening. Where, where people in foreign countries often would be praying for someone and they know they, they can't understand English. So they'll start to pray in tongues and, and they hear their own language. As it comes out of their mouth, it, it gets transformed into their native tongue and it's glorifying God and people get saved because of that. It's God's witness. And, and so look, I, I needed to cover this for you this morning because it wouldn't be appropriate if we didn't. So the, the first one that we talk about in the Bible is about tongues is, is other languages. Okay, and that's the one that's dealt with here in Acts 2, the start of Acts 2. There's another type of tongues that's talked about in the Bible, and it's, it's the tongues of angels. It's the language of angels. And uh, you know, it's mentioned through the Bible, but I've given 1 Corinthians 13, 1 as a reference for this this morning. And, and usually it's a prophetic message to the church that needs interpretation. And, and the scripture says this, If I speak in tongues of men or angels, then, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And truthfully, we don't see much of this in our type of churches these days, you know, because it takes someone who's got a prophet, who is a, has an offer of a prophet, not just a prophetic gifting, a prophet, and it takes someone who can interpret that and bring a message to the body because there's no point doing it unless there's an interpretation. And, and truthfully, until I see that, that gift of a prophet and, and that gift of interpretation, I'm probably not going to release it in our church because I've seen it used really badly in other churches really badly, abused almost. And, and, and uh, so, so you won't see very much of that here. The other type of tongues that the Bible talks about is a, a private prayer language, a private prayer language. And 1 Corinthians 14 uh, verses 1 to 2 says this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands that they, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. And, and we encourage you to seek uh, and ask God for that gift to be able to speak in tongues. Um, but it's your private prayer language. Understand that. It's your language between you and God, it is, basically. And it's a devotional tool uh, for edification, for self-edification. It builds you up and it builds God up. It blesses you and blesses God. And allows us to pray even when we don't know what to pray. Even when we don't have the right words to pray, where when our spirit is grieving or, or, or in distress or, or, or just you just enjoy, you know, you just haven't got the right words to pray, you pray in tongues. And, and Romans eight twenty two to 23 says this, 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And verse 26 goes on in this way. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Not through soundless groans, through wordless groans. They're they're words that don't mean anything to anybody. They're words that are are just from our spirit to to the spirit of God. And and as I said, I would encourage you to to, uh, pursue that for your life because it's something that can build you up spiritually, magnificently. Um, So that, that's it's another kind of tongues. It's, it's a private prayer language. And, and, and that's why you don't hear much from the front. Because that's my prayer language. And I can pray. I'll pray in a prayer meeting out there when we're praying. I'll pray in leadership meetings. I'll pray in a, a life group if, if I'm there. Um, but it's my prayer language. And, uh, you know, and, and I just don't need to pray it in other times. It's for me and God. And God, and sorry, Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us that everyone can speak in tongues if you would desire to. Um, but we're never make, meant to make tongues the main thing. I need to make this really clear. In Pentecostal churches, this may have been a little abused over the years. It helps us in our spiritual walk, our relationship with God and the Holy Spirit, but it's not the main thing. Paul constantly talks about love is the main thing. Love, don't, don't worry about the tongues thing. Do love. I want you all to speak in tongues. I love speaking in tongues. But do the love thing. Don't worry about the tongues thing. It'll take care of itself. Desire it. Make it something you want in your life. But don't make it the main thing. You see, the first thing you need to do is have that decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. That's the first thing. The second thing is you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be a Spirit-filled Christian, to be on fire for God, that transforming power of the Holy Spirit, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Make those things the main thing. Make, make Jesus' commandment, you know, that, to love God and love one another. Make that the main thing. Make the, the Great Commission the main thing, you know, to, to go into all the world. You know, do, do that. Be, be God's witnesses in this place. See, when we fill the Holy Spirit, our spirit, okay, we made up three parts. Our body, our soul, and our spirit. And when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, our spirit connects with the Spirit of God. Understand that? So it's beyond our understanding, generally. And in fact, that's why tongues is so good, because it bypasses this. It makes no sense. That's gibberish. What is that noise coming out of my mouth? It makes no sense at all. And that's a good thing. You know, can I tell you, I've counseled many people over the years have been told tongues is from the devil and, and, and all this stuff. And you go, it's in the Bible. Like, how can it be from the devil? It's not a good thing. You don't know what you're praying, so you shouldn't do it. No, it's in the Bible. God, Paul says, yes, we all should speak in tongues, but just don't make it the main thing. So it's our spirit connecting with God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. And it isn't just a one-off experience of it. It actually is, in the Greek, it's a present continuous verb. It means now and forever. Continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's about our spirit, your spirit, beginning to relate with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It's about you and me being 
daily filled with his presence. And, uh, you know, and, and you read through there and, and the Holy Spirit just kept working with the apostles, the early church, just kept building his kingdom on earth. And, uh, and if, you, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what it's like. There's this amazing joy that you get filled with, this amazing joy. But also is for, uh, to be a powerful witness in our lives as well, to, in our families, in our, around our friends, in our, our communities. And it's a transforming power of God, Holy Spirit in us. And I'm sure there are a few different likely responses to the Holy Spirit. Fear is, is certainly one. Disbelief. Or maybe you here this morning are a little bit inquisitive. Or maybe you're already convinced you want the Holy Spirit. You, you, maybe you've, you've been filled once and you, you just, I need it this morning. I just need it for my life. I need it every day. We all do. But how do I get started? How do, how do I get back into that stream, into that, the river? How do I get immersed? Because it's like an immersion. It's, it's like you just get saturated with God through the Holy Spirit when he fills you. And it's just, it just the, the peace comes. The, the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're supposed to, that's what's the outworking of this. But also, also always starts with prayer and seeking God. And, and you know, I, I thought I might only go a little way in this message this morning, and I have. But um, I just wanted to give space for the Holy Spirit here this morning to be truthful. I'm going to read a passage, the next part of that passage out of Acts 2 to finish this morning. But I, I just want to open up the altar to anyone. Anyone. First of all, for salvation. If you haven't made that decision, just make it. Just put it to bed. Just do it. Second one is, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray with you this morning. I'm going to ask all my leaders to come up the front and pray individually with you. And that's for everyone. That's including leaders. If you need that filling this morning, I invite you here as well. Like it's for everyone. We all need it. We'll lay hands on you and we'll pray with you. It won't be weird. It won't be wacky. We won't be hanging off the chandeliers or anything like that. It'll be real. It'll be real. And you know what? If you want tongues, we can pray for that. If you want it, we'll pray for you with that. We invite the Holy Spirit in this place. Can we stand while I read this last passage? Because I reckon this says it all. It's Acts 2, verses 13 to 41. I'm going to bring those lights down now and, and uh, get some musos on stage. And, and, and if, you, if you feel compelled to come, please start coming down the front now. If you want to pray this morning, come down the front right now as I read this passage. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jew, Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Get this. This is so great. In the last day, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. 
on all people. You choose whether you want it or not, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. It's for everyone, everyone, every single one of us. We are in the last days. Whether you recognize or not, we actually are in the last days. He'll pour out his spirit. He will save you. This morning, Pentecost Sunday, 2015. I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you need Jesus. Maybe you need the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need both. But I'm inviting you, come up the front. Throw off any of those distractions, those inhibitions. Let's pray for you. If that's you, come on, come forward right now. Right now. Come on. Come on, don't hold back. There's nothing to be scared of. There's nothing to be scared of. This is a great thing. Anyone else? Come on. Come on. If you know inside, you just got that little urging. That's you. Come on. You need to respond right now. Don't hold back. There's no point holding back. That's you. Right out the front right now. Come on. Come on. Every single one of us should want this, I'm telling you. Can I just ask some leaders to come one-on-one? Just come and pray with people. Come and pray with people. If you want prayer, please come. Please come. Please come. Come and pray. scripture I really want to read this morning just as they're praying it's 1 Corinthians 2 verses 9 to 16 it says this no eye has seen no ear has heard what no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit the spirit searches all things even the deep things of God For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The spirit within the spirit does not accept the things. Oh, sorry, the person within the spirit, without the spirit, does not accept the things that came from the spirit of God, who considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are concerned, discerned only through the spirit. A person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? 
Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.